And this is truly chilling, Mills. A pattern is emerging. You see here we have a baby grabbing Joe Mantegna's genitals. Then over here, three obese rappers taking a wheelchair-bound Ralph Bellamy roller skating. Over here, Scatman Crothers is obsessing over the salami content of his diet. We have William H. Macy twirling a shovel. Dennis Hopper as a cornrow-wearing Lizard King doing a Donald Trump impression. Marlon Brando with a bucket on his head and Mike McGlone berating Jennifer Aniston for using her vibrator. It's the seven deadly scenes. See what I did there? Wait, that's only six. Six? Oh, no. What's that over there? That's just an old VHS box. Well, what's in it? Oh, good God. What's in the box? No, it's too horrible. What's in the box? You don't want to know. What's in the VHS box? Oh, shit. It's showgirls. Coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Read it R. Welcome to episode 18 of Opening Weekend. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And this week, we're traveling back a quarter of a century, good God, we are old, to September 22nd, 1995. O.J. Simpson was just weeks away from a shocking acquittal on charges of double homicide, Will Ferrell was about to begin his star-making run on Saturday Night Live, and the original Toy Story was exactly two months away from introducing the world to Pixar and reinventing animation as we all knew it. But September 22nd also saw the release in theaters of David Fincher's Seven, Paul Verhoeven's Showgirls, and Empire Records, starring Liv Tyler and Anthony LaPaglia. But before we dive into this week's movies, Fred and Dan, where were you guys in September of 1995? Wow, I was starting my life in New York City because I had right. just come off of a season, my first and only season at the Texas Shakespeare Festival. That's right. Uh, where I worked with name drop Michael C. Hall and oh. uh, yeah, mm -hmm. pre-Dexter fame. He doesn't wow. call me. I don't understand. He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he never returns my calls anymore. Like, Mike, you want to you wanna do scenes from Camelot again like we did back then? No? But uh, so I just got a uh, great guy. Awesome. We, uh, I had just gone back from that. I was living at home for about a month. And then I moved into my first apartment in the city with our very good friend, Mike Polofsky, who I want to give a quick plug to because Mike has been amazing and he's done some wonderful artwork for the opening weekend podcast. Mm -hmm. He did that great poster yes. where she's the one that just had the Dan oh, yeah. quote, fuck this movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's a great guy, a wonderful copywriter and, and uh, designer. So anyway, so Mike and I moved into the city. We were on East 87th Street and it was it was a really big deal because Jason, you and I, we lived in Queens for a we little bit. We lived in Woodside, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And we, but this was, it was like a huge deal. It was sort of like the dream 
that, oh my God, I'm going to be this struggling actor living in Manhattan. It's like a walk up on East 87th Street. I mean, it probably would have been more romantic if it was like in the village or something, but mm-hmm. it was it was on the Upper East Side. And yeah, I remember I, I was, I was we were living up there. It was a railroad apartment and I had my 10 speed Ross bike uh, that I would I'd ride across the park every day. I was working at the Esplanade <laughs> Hotel which oh was- Oh my uh, God, that's right. that's right. Yeah, it was a hotel for elderly Jewish senior citizens. I mean, I guess elderly and senior citizens is redundant, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of them there. So, and yeah, I served prunes and tongue polonaise to oh old <laughs> Jewish residents of the Upper West Side. It was oh. fun. Oh. And I was doing that and I was just- I was just very excited to be in the city. And I remember I, it was my mission. I, I just had this image that, when I get this apartment, I have to get, I need like a good Woody Allen poster. It was, and it was like a mission of mine. I just had this image of, of what a struggling actor's New York City apartment looked like a single guy. And I'm like, I got to get, and I, I remember I searched all over the city and I got this black and white, this Annie Hall poster, which I still have. Mm-hmm. And it was this prize. And I'm like, that's it. Now I'm, I'm doing it. You've I arrived. Yeah, I had like my little pictures of De Niro and Pacino on the window. Uh, it was uh, it was wild, and I was I started, and right around this time I started rehearsing the show off 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 Broadway called The Ties That Bind, that was just awful, and it was one of those things where like we were lucky if we had six people in the audience, oh. but those six people weren't so lucky because it just wasn't. <laughs> you know, it was like. Typical new play, a lot of angsty actors in there working out their Meisner training and whatnot. <laughs> but I was like, I'm doing it. This is this is it. This is this is what it means living in the city and biking all over the place. And it was good. And you know, we'd go home. I remember we were so excited because when Mike and I moved into that place, we'd always heard of Channel 35, which what was, the was like the, the it was Robin like the uh, the public access channel. So yeah, so Robin Bird was on there and Al Goldstein. Oh my god! <laughs> and we were so excited because like, oh, Robin Bird is gonna be naked women dancing, and it was, it was such a letdown. It was it was just awful. You think? <laughs> <laughs> Did you serve Al Goldstein at the Esplanade? As big Fuck a letdown as Showgirls, or uh, in uh, terms of titillation? Well, We'll get there. Uh, I mean, these titillations were hanging down to her knees. So that was yes, the thing. That's like, the one thing. We, yeah. We were watching these shows way past their prime, but it was <laughs> their I just prime. Just being, <laughs> Seven minutes in 1975 yeah. was yeah. the prime. I don't know if Al Goldstein ever had a prime. For those of you who don't know, Al Goldstein is the, what was he, the publisher of Screw? Screw. Screw yeah. magazine. Yes. Yeah. Didn't he like run I mean, for mayor at some point? I mean, he was like one of those kooks. Right? He must have. <laughs> right? he must like have Grandpa uh, Al Lewis and Al all these Lewis. other characters. There's <laughs> always uh, like a bunch of like weird old men <laughs> with like free weekly newspapers stuffed into the sides of their wheelchairs running for <laughs> mayor in New York City uh, in the and, 90s. And now uh, one of those guys is president. So, there yeah, you go. Exactly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah, it was, but it was, it was, it was fun times in the city. What were you guys doing? Um, well, you were serving lots of elderly Jews uh, at uh, the Esplanade. I was performing for all of the other elderly Jews in the world <laughs> in Sarasota, Florida, because I had just moved to Sarasota, Florida, of all places. 
to start uh, to start graduate school. Can uh, you speak up? What you're doing very well. That was exactly. You're doing very well. <laughs> you're like a young Robert Preston. <laughs> Stuff like that. You get uh, any of that. I would help them cut their meat while they were watching the show. It was great. Wait, seriously, was it like true dinner theater? No, no, no. Oh. It was. A, it was. A, <laughs> there was a dinner theater there. There was all kinds of stuff there. But basically, what Sarasota is, if anyone's ever been to Sarasota, and and uh, Jason, I know uh, you've many been times, many um, times. Fred, have you ever been down there to the Gulf Coast of Florida? Sarasota, yeah, yeah, yeah. Naples, never been to Sarasota. Venice, all those yeah, places. Mm-hmm. There are all these lovely communities, but it's all elderly people, and they call them, They literally call them the snowbirds. And the reason they mm-hmm. call them that is because when it gets cold up north. They go down there. And then when it gets too hot there, they go back up north. So they they literally migrate down mm-hmm. there and then go back. And a lot of them have a residence down there and a residence up in the northeast. So this was very fish out of water for me. College was over. I went straight from college into grad school and, uh, you know, uh, all alone, didn't know a soul, knew no one and was you know, living down by the water uh, in Sarasota, Florida, and about to start uh, about to start my graduate training, which was I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, was a very very hard um, time because it was very sort of break you down and build you back up uh, program. So that, unbeknownst to me, here we are in September. That process is about to begin, but right before that, at this moment, it's like woohoo! I live in Florida now, and uh, oh, uh, you know, and I and I'm looking forward to to three years of of more training. Little did I know it was going to be. Uh, very, very tough and life changing in a, in a million other different ways. But I remember we, you know, one of the first movies that we went to see uh, down there was seven and we all talked about it in class. <laughs> we all oh, talked wow. about it in class because it was like, have you seen this? You haven't seen seven yet? Oh, my God, you got to see seven, 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 seven. That's all we talked about. So uh, I remember this time very vividly, but it was fun. It was fun. Hard, but fun. There's a there's a pocket of elderly Jews that neither of you was catering to that I was taking oh, care I of. Oh, I doubt that very yeah. much. How could that be? Hmm. They they were in the Poconos, um, <gasps> at a dinner theater where I was performing the stage version of All in the Family. <gasps> yes, I saw I that. Saw you I in was. That. I was 24 years old and I was playing Archie Bunker, who's easily <laughs> a character brilliant. who's 55 or 60 so years old. Oh, good at it. Oh, though. I was so excited to do that too. That was, I really felt like I had made it as an actor when I, when I got that gig, I remember no, but it was. But talk about how you got it. Cause that's pretty amazing. So I see this ad in backstage saying, um, you know, take, accepting pictures and resumes for all in the family. And I was like, what the hell, what is this? What? So I send my headshot again. I'm, I'm 24 years old. The, the headshot I have is probably from when I was 22. <laughs> I send my headshot and resume and, and, and a, a letter, a long letter explaining that I want to be considered for Archie. I want to, that I, I grew up loving it. My grandfather loved it. I've watched every episode a million times. I can do the impression. I think I can channel him, all this stuff, blah, 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 wow. blah. I send the picture. They call me. They say they're giving me an appointment to audition for both Archie Bunker and uh, Mike Stivick, the Rob Reiner character, the, the son-in-law. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, great. All right. I don't really care about, I don't really want to play meathead, but I, you know, but I, whatever, <laughs> I'll learn the lines, whatever. So they send the script. I prepare the stuff. <laughs> I go to the audition and, and this woman who's both the uh, co-producer and she was the monitor at the audition. She comes out and she sees me and she looks at the picture 
And she was like, oh, you really do look like your picture. And I was like, thank you. And what I realized in retrospect is what she was saying is, well, maybe this is an older guy who just hasn't had a headshot in a long time. And, <laughs> that's what and she I, was hoping for. That's what she said. She's like, she's like, this guy claims he can do Archie Bunker, but this is like a 20 year old kid or something. So she looked at the picture. So I thought she was complimenting me on how good the likeness was of the picture. Clearly, she was like, this isn't going to work. It's not going to work. So... They keep bringing me into the room to read Mike Stivic, to read the Rob Reiner part. I, I go in, I read with different groups of people, and I'm hearing, I'm listening to people read Archie Bunker. I'm in the room with people oh, reading Archie torture. Bunker, and I'm like, I'm like, they're not doing it. They can't do it. They're not doing it. They can't do it. And finally, you know, they've read me a bunch of times, and then I was like, I was like, can can I read for Archie? And they're like, Yeah, sure, yeah, of course. <laughs> so I go in, I do it. And they're laughing and they're looking at each other. The director, this great guy, mm -hmm. Peter Palame is his name. He's a wonderful guy. I'm still friends with him on Facebook. And uh, and he was like, I could tell he was digging it. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, holy shit. He's like, all right, read another one. Read another one. And then he's like bringing me in with people and he's putting it together. And I can tell they're like trying to figure out how the hell are we going to do this? He's like, yeah, because right. all the other guys were the right age. It was all these men who were like in their 50s, 60s. And they were all, they all had the white, the, the, um, the blue collar thing. And they, they had yeah. that kind of, there's a roughness to them, but nobody had kind of the energy or the rhythm or the voice or the, you know, it wasn't that kind of thing. Like they were, mm -hmm. which is a way to do it too. You know, that's a legit way to do it, to not try to make it seem like a, an actual impersonation but I mean, that's kind of what woody harrelson did yeah. on the recent thing he wasn't doing carol o'connor and exactly. it wasn't very good but exactly I mean, but then you had marissa tomei who was doing gene stapleton right. and it's she great. was wonderful and yeah. jamie fox was doing sherman hemsley and the jeffersons and it's great it kind of it kind of called out for that kind of you know that no it wants that impersonation because then you get the rhythms of the jokes you get everything because you remember it's like watching the episode so it's whatever so they him. So they, they, yeah. So I, you know, I went through it, went through it. It felt good. It felt like, I was like, I think I'm going to get this job. I think I'm going to get this job. And then like <laughs> an, an hour later on my service, my, my <laughs> I check my service and they're like, you got it. And I, you would have yes. thought I was on Broadway. It was a dinner theater. <laughs> it was a dinner theater in New Jersey. It was going to pay me a hundred bucks per performance. I was still non-union. It was like, and there was going to be That's like awesome. between three and five performances a week and i was like a pig in shit i was so happy <laughs> and proud let's see was, you spoke up but it was and very you got it. it yeah. was so fun doing it and then yeah That's and then great. we had the summer part of the summer off and then we were in the poconos so i was in a uh, i was in a cabin in the poconos and like performing this show however many times a week and i was very happy i was very blissful it, it didn't take much to uh to satisfy <laughs> clearly not well i had to do i just had to do a little bit of archie bunkett <laughs> so good oh jeez, dear <laughs> oddly i had a very similar experience when um i did the stage version of sanford and son and i wanted to be seen for sanford and they were like no you're a grady and i was like no no, no just 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 let me let me give it a whirl uh, uh and they still for i still they put me as grady anyway but it was still it was just as blissful anyway, yeah. we're gonna flip a coin chico heads tails the man <laughs> the, the man, man. <laughs> does anyone oh, remember God. the song from chico and the man i seem to remember it like chico, chico don't get discouraged that was it. oh my gosh the man you yeah. try so hard to understand it's something wow. like that yeah. Ooh, i think nice. you're gonna have yeah. to hand fart that at the end of the episode. <laughs>
Do you go to get discouraged? <laughs> I would love to pick up. Maybe we can pick up the uh, the forty five of that at uh, at Empire, at Empire Records. Records. Yeah, I can feel. Oh, I can feel I could feel that one. I could feel it brewing in you, like that first <laughs> morning too. cup of coffee. Like, it was like he's, he's building got, up. He's got a boomer coming. He's got a. <laughs> <laughs> that's really that's really the only way to describe my segues. It's just big steaming piles of shit. <laughs> but at least you're doing them. We're holding ours. We're constipated with segues. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's a beautiful thing, Fred. And thank you. Thank all of you for listening this long. Just so that we could start talking about Empire Records. Just let me introduce you to everybody. Uh, this is uh, Gina, Roy, Lucas, AJ. The staff of Empire Records had the coolest jobs on earth. Do you think the story is already written? Or do you think a bold and courageous act can change the course of history? We're turning us into a music town? Now, five friends have one day to decide what to do with the rest of their lives. Joe, played by Anthony LaPaglia, runs an independent Delaware music store that employs a tight-knit group of music-savvy youths, including Liv Tyler, Robin Tunney, and a pre-Jerry Maguire Renee Zellweger. Hearing that the shop may be sold to a big chain, slacker employee Lucas, played by Rory Cochran, gambles away a chunk of the store's money in Atlantic City, hoping to get a big return. When his plans fail, however, the Empire Records staff must deal with the fallout on the same crazy, jam-packed day that also sees a gun-toting shoplifter and cheesy pop star Rex Manning, played by Grease 2's Maxwell Caulfield, visit the store. Michael Nathanson, the head of Regency Pictures, greenlit Empire Records two days before the script for Clueless hit his desk and, already having a teen comedy on the docket, infamously passed on what was destined to be a box office hit in favor of what Variety dubbed a soundtrack in search of a movie, which earned only $151,000 on its opening weekend, en route to just $273,000 worldwide. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of Empire Records? Well, I'll tell you, if you don't mind me jumping in here first, Dan. Mm -hmm. I saw it when it came out. You did? Yeah, and oh, I no. forgot that I saw it when it came out. Because you saw it in I the was, theater? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Because I was obsessed at the time with the cast of Dazed and Confused. Mm -hmm. I was a huge fan of that movie. Okay. And I was so blown away by all the performers in them. They seemed like, they didn't even seem like performers to me or actors to me. I was so, I was so fascinated. So I would see... Anytime one of them did a movie, like I remember A Time to Kill, that was really uh, McConaughey's first mm -hmm. big movie. And I was like, holy shit, that's Wooderson's movie. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Ben Affleck with Good Will Hunting. There was a, uh, Cole Hauser was another actor in Days and Confused. He did a John Singleton film I went to go see. And Rory Cochran was Slater in Days and Confused. I loved him. Uh, do you remember he, was, he had the long mm -hmm. hair? And, yes, and the now I remember. I didn't, and, I totally didn't make the connection until you just And I was so fascinated. I was like, holy shit, he's in another, like, I got it. And he looks so different. I, I, I got to go see if this guy can do anything else. I, I was so just, I was just curious about all these young actors. I thought they were so good and dazed. So I went to go see, and I also thought, all right, well, it's, it's a movie, you know, it's a music lover's movie. It takes place like record store culture. So I'm like, all right, this is probably up my alley. And I remember when I saw it, it, it didn't, uh, I remember thinking, uh, uh, okay, it was all right. I guess that guy, Roy Cochran's pretty good, was, mm. but it, it sort of, it didn't really leave an impression on me. And rewatching it, 
I realized something and it, it, it angered me. I got angry. <laughs> so I'm watching it and I'm like, all right, this isn't a great movie. It's okay. It's a little cheesy. I was enjoying it. And then something happened. I finished the movie and then, and I don't know if you guys notice this, you go through the credits. There's a post-credit sequence. Yes. Yeah. In the middle. Now, right. I, I don't think I saw that. I must have left early when I saw it mm -hmm. in the theater. I must have just left when the movie was over because I didn't remember it. Yeah. I'm like, wait, whoa, what is this? And it's the two characters, Ethan Embry, who I always enjoy, and the other dude with the long hair. And mm -hmm. they're sitting on the curb and they're talking about music and they're talking mm -hmm. about, they're having this like, this intense conversation about the Misfits versus Rollins and Primus versus the mm -hmm. Pixies. Yeah, talking about Primus, yeah. Yeah, and I thought- well, that's the movie. If if this if I just watched ninety exactly. minutes of that, and right. I thought, holy shit, I just watched ninety minutes yep. of, of of characters that work in a record store and they never discuss music. They don't talk about music once. once. Yeah. They ne they listen to a lot of music, yep. but and that's what, and it's so funny that you said that. Just yeah, yeah. For, yeah, I was like, Jesus Christ, how many does does no wonder this place is going under? No one fucking works there. They just dance around, <laughs> right? But it was, I couldn't believe it. I thought, holy shit, they never talked about music. No. Uh, no. If they did, they cut it. And and it's like <laughs> like that review in Variety said, and that's spot on. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. a great soundtrack. There's some great music. Yeah, great but stuff, that's the man. thing. It, it wasn't yeah. like they were playing, it wasn't like they were playing music and be like, they would never play that. They played music very specific to that store in that time. Mm -hmm. And it was a great soundtrack, but they never talked about the bands. They never discussed it. And I just thought that, that's impossible. That's and what the whole it was movie so, should have been. That's, oh. it, 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 I saw that part too. And I wrote, I wrote that note. I said, that's, this is the yeah. best part of the movie. It should have been far more of that. This should have been the whole thing. Like, like high fidelity, which is about a lot of things, and but I mean, there's that high fidelity. Of, yeah. You know, so they, yeah. And, and you're right. You get so kind of like the movie is such its own thing for 90 minutes that when they have that conversation, you almost forget that that. It's possible, but that's that it could have and should have been, like you say, like mm -hmm. you watch the whole thing and you're like, yeah, it's all right. It's all right. It doesn't, it, the penny doesn't drop until you see two characters actually have that kind of a discussion. Yeah. Well, I get it in Primus, man. Primus, Primus is the new stuff. There's always, I mean, the, the out with the old, in with the new kind. Oh, uh, evolution's a bad thing if Primus is what's gonna come around. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the fact that Primus has nothing, man. They've got like good bass lines. They have that. beautiful bass lines. Okay, but they're not as good as, bass. they're not as good as right, like, guy like the Pixies. The Pixies have way better bass lines than, the, than, than Primus, man. So why didn't they stick around? Which is the same kind of discussion, like if you were going to set a, move, a movie at a video store or a comic book store or whatever, you would right, want to see go. the people who work there passionate about the thing that brought them to that place in the first place. You know what I mean? It's always like, you yeah. know, people, we go to Midtown Comics all the time. It's all, you know, any one of those nerds could sit oh there and hold forth for three hours about <laughs> Reed Richards and whatever, you know, I mean, you know, and that's fun. You want to yeah. see that kind of thing. There was so, none yeah. of that. You had all these characters going through these major events all crammed into one day. And it just seemed, it was too much. It, yeah. it, it, it seemed like they were just trying to get too many super life-changing events. Like she committed suicide. She's a speed freak. You know, he's in yeah. love. He's in love. That fucking guy, AJ, there was no chemistry between him no. and Liv Tyler. No. I just would have liked a simpler movie. Like I like the idea about it's going to get bought out by a big, you know, a uh, big name chain. Right. So focus on that and then focus on, I mean, I guess it, I it did focus on the individuals, but it just, I, I, I didn't buy any of it. There's, just, there was a man who um, lived a few thousand years ago <laughs> and you may have heard of him 
he he his name was Aristotle and Aristotle Oh Ari Aristotle Aristotle he went he by He used to at go times. see the, the, the dinner theater at uh in, in Sarasota <laughs> Yeah that's right he would be yeah. in Sarasota he would he would go up to the Poconos from time to time and he lived at the <laughs> Esplanade No <laughs> Aristotle we all know Aristotle's poetics Yes um he was big on plot if you remember <laughs> He said that to tell a story on stage, or in this case, on screen, you needed to have a thing that was known as the plot. <laughs> this movie didn't have that. So they went a different way and it made $200,000. <laughs> this is this is one of the worst movies we've seen on this podcast. I don't know if I'd go that far. Fred Berman, this is one of the worst movies we've seen on this podcast. It's they not didn't know good. what they were doing. I think what they thought they were doing was making the record store Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And I know we don't like to be cruel on this podcast, but this movie, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, it might be worse than Disorderlies. Disorderlies no, gets no. better and better the more of these movies we watch. <laughs> I disagree. Disagree. Um, no, I think I probably, this is better I, than Disorderlies. I probably I'll go disagree out on that too. limb. But let me ask a few plot-based questions, okay? The sure. boy steals the money and goes to uh, uh, Atlantic, Atlantic City, City yeah. to spend it and loses it. Then he comes back and tells Anthony LaPaglia, hey, I lost the money. Then nothing happens. Yeah. To the boy or to their relationship until the middle of the movie, when then at that point, which is midday at that point, it's about 3 p.m. by my watch on this movie uh, in the span of the day, then Anthony, Anthony LaPaglia gets mad at him and beats him up for no reason in the middle of the day. <laughs> Problem A. Problem B. Debbie Mazur's character. She gets third billing in this, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I know. I couldn't understand. She does it. nothing in this thing. I love Debbie Mazur. She comes in. She's clearly the personal assistant of the Maxwell Caulfield character. Yeah. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. You'll do the signing at the record store. Blah 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 blah. There is one scene with her in which they go. You work for uh, Rex ba Rex Banning Mannings Bannings Manning. whatever mm -hmm. his name is. Yeah. Yeah. They roll their eyes and chuckle at that, and she goes, "You know what?" And she quits. She doesn't quit to Rex Manning Banning. She goes to LaPaglia and says, I quit. And then he says, no, Jane, you can't quit. These I two know. haven't met. They've met with a hello, how are you? I'm Joe, I'm Jane. And then he goes crazy and plays the drums for 20 minutes because she has quit. The movie makes no sense. No sense. <laughs> this movie's a mess. Well, and I wonder if they, because apparently, like we were saying, there was a lot more to it and they decided to cut it down. I, I don't know. You, you, I, 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 I don't I think can't that imagine would it would be saving grace stuff. No, I, I don't can't, think so it'd, either. It'd be like, oh, there you go. You're absolutely right, Fred. When you say the meat of this plot is a record store is going to be taken over by the man, by the yeah. big, by the big corporation. And he didn't even seem to care. Deal with that. Idea. Right. And, and, and the way that that gets solved, resolved, not solved, played out. It is nonsensical throughout the movie. It doesn't make any sense. You need to love the place. You need to fall in love. You need to care about Empire Records. You need to be able to smell the the vinyl and the right. and be like, oh, this reminds me of it. Because there was a point early on where I, I took a note saying, like, gosh, I really miss I miss record stores. I miss independent this record store thing. Sure. I miss and and even the big and the independent ones. And I even miss like. 
Tower Records and all these places on oh, in Manhattan that we used to have to go and just like browse. And I just loved it so much. And it doesn't exist anymore. And I was like, yeah, oh, seeing this the is... people in the listening stations. I was yeah, like, yes, oh, I, I love that. I, I, yeah. I found so much great music just by exactly. strolling into a Tower Records, putting on the headphones and just seeing what was on. Exactly. What you're describing, Jason, is what the filmmakers thought they were doing. I think. Exactly. And, and, and making the record store a character and saying, oh, this will be nostalgic and beloved to people. But he, they put people working in the record store that have, they, they right. defy every attempt I made to care about them. Yes. And none of them seem like they care about, I mean, certainly none of them seem like they care about music or have a particular affinity for it. I don't, I didn't think really for the most part. Suddenly at the end, you find out that Renee Zellweger's always wanted to sing in a band. Yes, um, yes. There's the Ethan Embry character sort of has one point where he's like, you'll see, because they tell him to turn down the music. And, mm -hmm. but I, I, I don't. That didn't yeah, make any sense either. They, they, there was nothing about how they love. Yeah, you're right. How they love music. And, and that drove the me nuts. Cochran Renee, character. I don't know what his Well, I wanted to fucking ring his neck. And, I thought, yeah, what did, I know. And, he was annoying. And first of all, yeah. I agree with you, Dan. I'm like, that's it. You just lost the fucking money. And now you're spouting off these stupid, like Yoda isms. Like, it, it, now why? Do, why are we supposed to care about that or like that or like no, him? Or, he was or, so, un, he was very unlikable. And, uh, and I guess they tried to spin something at the end where like, this is our home. And there's some reference to the fact that, you know, he was, he was like a troubled kid and the Paglia like took him in and, but it just, it, it was, it was like thrown in at the last second, all these little things where we're a family, yeah. let's do this funeral and this mock funeral. Yeah, suddenly ridiculous. they're friends with the girl, the bald girl again exactly. and stuff out I, of yeah, nowhere. They hate her and now they're no. their best friends. Uh, now yeah. give me, give Come me 90 on. minutes of those two guys on the curb talking about yes. misfits and the pixies and right. throw Jack yeah. Black and John Cusack in there and then you have a movie. <laughs> This thing thought I mean, it was going to be high fidelity mixed with fast times and you put it in a record store and it's just, yeah, there, there's, there's no there there with this movie. I kept getting frustrated thinking the plot was going to start, you know, yeah. and it never, ever And you did. can have that kind of thing. You can have like a, a self-contained, like a one day story that where it's really, truly just this kind of slice of life and just these kind of back and forth conversations between a couple of characters where a lot of crazy things happen. You can have that. It, we talked about it very briefly last week, the movie Friday where Chris Tucker made his bones. Mm -hmm. it, that's a great yep. movie. And it is like, it's, it's nuts. There's like a million supporting yeah. characters in that thing. A million crazy things happen over the course of that day, but it's essentially just these two unemployed guys just trying to like, get stoned sit on the porch yeah. and get stoned and while the day away and there's the, and there's an under there's an underlying plot and there's character stuff that gets resolved and things to for ice cube to overcome in the movie it's it's a great little movie and it's hard to do that well it's hard to have that to have the the kookiness and the absurdity and the the, right. the broad comedy while also telling a simple clear story that feels like it's real people having real conversations it can be a tightrope walk and some movies do it well and some movies do not and this also reminds me of mall rats which i haven't seen in a very long time but is also yeah the kevin way, smith yeah. movie which is again it's just like a sh just a shit ton of characters very little plot kind of a unifying location and I guess that's why the Fast Times comparison makes sense too. That the, you're right. There's the just the the high school is a banner for all these disparate exactly. characters and stories. Yeah. But you know, it's that's a hard thing to pull off and do well. And this was this also had the the stink of trying too hard to be quirky oh. and trying too hard yeah. to like thread all these 
plot elements together. I, I thought the most egregious thing was the the shoplifting kid who drove me crazy. And then he comes in Ugh. brandishing a fucking gun and like, oh, shooting yeah. it in the store. And then they give yeah. him a job because misfits need love too. And you know, right. He's now going to be a father figure to this kid. Like he's a father figure to all the other kids. Yeah, and you know, it's you know all what? the misfits. So, you know what? If you're going to, ca- if you're going to have a show about misfits, cast misfits, Liv Tyler, yeah. Renee Zellweger, another handsome guy, another beautiful woman, another <laughs> handsome guy, another beautiful woman, all white people. I mean, j- cast, have any diversity, racial or otherwise, have people that look different. Yeah. Have you ever been to an independent record store? Well, that's what's great about those two kids sitting on the the stoop, on the uh, the curb talking at the end. Because yeah. they're two, yeah. like, oddball guys who would, you know, they're, well they're not cast. beauties. <laughs> They're just, right. they're just kids. Lord. They're just teenagers or 20 something. Listen, it's just- listen, I've never, we've never done this before. Let's just fucking move on and talk about the movie with lots of naked people running around. Seven. Yes. Let's just get there. <laughs> oh, There's God. no segue. There's the nothing segue like is- an obese dead person, but when they're naked, <laughs> oh, look out. And you're just yelling at them. Thrust, thrust, I thrust. And they can't because they're dead and obese. <laughs> But I think you're right, Fred. I think I think we should just move on. Do we want to do the Sheilas now? Get this out Let's of the do way. Some Sheilas. What's the Sheila? Oh, what do we got Sheila wise for this? All right. What if we give? Let's do this, please. We'd have we to could. go back and listen to understand. No, what we've given it's too other much things. time. Uh, here's no. what I'm doing. I'm giving it three Sheilas. I'll give it one extra Sheila for using. <laughs> if you want blood, you got it by ACDC and Romeo and Juliet by Dire Straits. It was a great soundtrack. So what is that? Three plus one. That's four. Four Sheilas. <laughs> Wow. Whatever I gave, whatever I gave to uh, Megaforce, I give this two less than that. (laughs) Uh, So 22? Yes. Okay. I'll give it, I'll give it, I'll I'll give it two. Yeah. Sheila's because it made me think about record stores, which I love, and (laughs) the 90s, which are fun. Um, And, and Renee Zellweger was very, very beautiful. I'll go go to a record store and buy the CD, buy the soundtrack. Yes, there exactly, you go. Exactly. That's all you need from Empire Records. Get the soundtrack, you're set. Yeah. yeah. Now let's yeah, let's yeah. move on to something. Uh, you know, a little class, a little distinction. Oh, Lord, showgirls. Okay, ladies, I got one interest here, and that's the show. I don't care whether you live or die. I want to see you dance, and I want to see you smile. I can't use you if you can't smile. I can't use you if you can't show. I can't use you if you can't sell. From the creators of Basic Instinct, the last time they took you to the edge, this time they're taking you all the way. We take the cash, we cash the check, we show them what they want to see. Nomi Malone played, if you can call it that, by Saved by the Bell's Elizabeth Berkley, arrives in Las Vegas with dreams of becoming a top showgirl. After one of her many, many bipolar episodes, she befriends Molly, who works at the high-profile Stardust Hotel. Nomi soon lands a job at a seedy strip club run by Hofstra alum Robert Davi, who gives an oddly affecting and sincere performance, even as he says things like, it must be weird not having guys come on you. A chance meeting with the Stardust's marquee dancer, played by Gina Gershon, and her powerful boyfriend, Zach, played with a constant what-am-I-doing-here expression by Kyle McLaughlin, brings Nomi one step closer to realizing her dream. But 
As she ascends to the top, thrashing and grinding her way through sexual encounters like a wounded otter, Nomi <laughs> begins to wonder if it's all worth it. Then she pushes a woman down a flight of stairs. <laughs> Despite being consistently ranked as one of the worst films ever made, Showgirls is now regarded as a cult movie and has been subject to critical reevaluation, with some declaring it a serious satire worthy of praise. Rotten Tomatoes describes the overall critical response to Showgirls as vile, contemptible, garish, and misogynistic, but notes that that might just be Showgirls' point. Perhaps Kyle MacLachlan said it best when he recalled his response to the movie's premiere. Quote, I was absolutely gobsmacked. I said, this is horrible, horrible. And it's a very slow, sinking feeling when you're watching the movie and the first scene comes out and you're like, oh, that's a really bad scene. But you say, well, that's okay. The next one will be better. And you somehow try to convince yourself that it's going to get better and it just gets worse. And I was like, wow, that was crazy. I mean, I really didn't see that coming. So at that point, I distanced myself from the movie. But now, of course, it has a whole other life as a sort of inadvertent satire no satire isn't the right word but it's inadvertently funny so it's found its place it provides entertainment though not in the way i think it was originally intended it was just maybe the wrong material with the wrong director and the wrong cast end quote showgirls won seven razzie awards out of an all-time record 13 nominations and earned 8.1 million dollars over its opening weekend on its way to a total of only 20.3 million dollars on a budget of 45 million dollars fred and dan would you kids think of showgirls oh god in the immortal words of simon birch boobies <laughs> <laughs> This uh, movie really is the megaforce of stripper movies. <laughs> What's the Citizen Kane of stripper movies? Oh, that I think. Uh, Striptease with Demi Moore. Does anyone take the clothes off in It's a Wonderful Life? Because it would be that. <laughs> they should. There's that cut scene with Mr. Potter. <laughs> Mr. Potter, put your balls away. <laughs> I can't feel them in the wheelchair. I'm dead from the waist down. Jesus Christ, Mary. Uh, uh, Mary. Mary. Uh, 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 I'll push you down a flight of stairs. <laughs> the, um, yeah, Kyle McLaughlin, I've never heard that quote, but he makes a good point about inadvertent satire. This movie takes itself seriously, and that's its problem. Like Megaforce, had it made the quarter turn to satire and been a spoof, You've got a great movie here. You're so it's so close anyway, just like Megaforce. It's it's it just needs a little mm. push towards satire, towards spoof. And you've got a naked gun style stripper movie. Nice beaver. Thank you. I just had it stuffed. Let me help you with that. I don't blame her one bit. I blame the screenplay and I blame the director because I don't I have no idea what went on behind the scenes on this or on set or while they were shooting. But I would lay good money like in, I would put money on the poker table in Vegas that this that her performance is more Paul Verhoeven's doing than her doing. And I kept just feeling bad. This is a movie where I just kept feeling bad for the actors over and over and over again, because you can almost see them being pushed to go too far to uncomfortable places and i mean like bad discomfort if you want to last longer than a week you give me a blowjob 
Was he serious? You know what I mean? Like the, well, the sure. boundary pushing discomfort that, like that Kyle uh, McLaughlin ejaculating in his khakis discomfort. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stuff that, stuff that, oh. you know, you, 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 oh. people, <laughs> oh. that sounds like Pacino been, doing that. That sounds I like mean, Christopher I mean, Lloyd in taxi. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I am. I, I, th- that is my opening statement. My opening rant. I stand by it. I, I, I really don't blame the actors. Poor Elizabeth Berkeley. She doesn't deserve to not have a career after this. Well, she couldn't. I mean, I had a note like, uh, you know, can you can you find a, an actress less capable of using a ketchup bottle? I mean, there are things she just can't. <laughs> there are just basic things that yeah. she can't. She has a hard time achieving. I mean, it's just, and maybe that's direction. Maybe it's like have a harder time with the ketchup, Elizabeth. <laughs> maybe you've never used the bottle of ketchup before. No I don't know, Paul. About I use ketchup all the time. No, no, no. I want it to seem like you are alien. But um, yeah, she really was not I think, good. I think you're right, Dan. That they did, that she was probably pushed to. I think it was two things with the performance, and I and I too. She I plays really like a five year old for the first half of the movie. It is bipolar disorder is what I see when I watch it. And when I've seen this movie in the past, I did not necessarily think that, but I was like, huh. she's playing it like she has, like there's, she has, she has, I mean, obviously the character has issues, yeah. right? But I mean, yeah. the, the, the erratic nature of her behavior right. from moment to moment feels like she is playing an actual psychological condition. I'll, I will give it that. I just saw an actress who was working so hard at shit. I mean, obviously she was just trying to shed her past career you know she was moving on from jesse saved by the bell mm. and and that's fine and 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 all actors have to do that you know they they, yeah, that's they why all, she took sorry this. All, all young actors yeah. child actors move on and they want to do something different yeah. um and they want to push the boundaries and she does in that but also the way she's acting everything out and it, it might have been the director it reminded me of like i kept thinking about like when we first, or at least I, I don't want to say you guys, but like when mm-hmm. I first, you know, started at college and whenever I got a chance to do a dramatic scene, it, a table always got flipped. Mm-hmm. Things always got <laughs> smashed. Things, because I was like, no, this is acting. I have to be angry. And I would right. just go fucking nuts. <laughs> I'm just looking at a note that I wrote. I yeah. just wrote, Elizabeth Berkeley is acting with that food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Every chip she eats, everything she does, it's, uh, uh, God. Yeah, she threw the French fries at one point. She just looks like she's having a breakdown constantly. And that's maybe <laughs> yes. what the character's going through. You got any family that you can call? I don't have any family. Where are you from? Different places. Yes. yes. Right. Yeah. Keep it I a kept little trying. Bit to see the the potential for satire in this because because of Verhoeven's past work, because Robocop is yeah. such a there Robocop and Starship mm-hmm. Troopers, which comes yeah. out shortly after this, are both very potent parodies yeah. of exploitative material that also revel in being exploitative material. And no so question. I think that's something that that's just in him as a filmmaker. And so this should, it does seem to fit the bill, but it just doesn't work like those do. And maybe it's because here he's working with sex more than violence. There I, I you go. Know. You read my mind, you know, as you, as you both typically do on this 
podcast. <laughs> that kind of thing works for hyperviolence. Mm-hmm. You know, when RoboCop, you know, when the when the when the bad RoboCop machine shoots the one guy, when yeah. I saw that in the movie theater, that got laughs. Oh, and yeah. it was they were earned laughs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's shocking at the same time as it is funny. When, you know, the lady goes, get ready for a surprise, and her head blows mm-hmm. up in total recall, and people die and they're constantly getting sucked out of the airlock, and, and he's using a guy as a human shield. That got <laughs>, laughs mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of the absurdity of the hyper violence of it. That doesn't work with with it's dancing with topless girls yeah. and topless sex. dancing and sex. And then especially you know, that horrible scene towards the end, which they all agree. Verhoeven, Esterhaus, they're like, no, that should have been cut. The, uh, oh, the, the rape terrible scene? rape. Yeah. Which, that, one? which was, oh, God, that was awful. Oh, I thought, you meant, watch, I thought yeah. you meant them in the pool. Yes. But the rape scene, I was like, okay, now we're in an exploitation oh, yeah. movie. It was like, I spit on your grave. To, yeah. yeah, exactly. We're watching, you know, Last House on the Left or something. It was, mm-hmm. all, it was, doesn't belong in this. It was so exploitative, but yeah, in, in the wrong ways. Like, I guess it, it I mean, I, I'm assuming that the whole idea was to show, to show how women in this industry or just women in general are just used and chewed up. Yeah. But it, it, again, it just seemed in a really exploitative way and, and, and not in an exploitative way that's going to teach you anything or show you like, see, see, this is what happens. It was, <laughs> I don't know. I just kept watching the whole thing. I just couldn't believe it's so weird to say this, but I, I couldn't believe how much nudity there was. And I don't have a problem. I, you, Fred. I, I don't like, have a problem wow. with nudity, but yeah. I was like, holy shit, that lap dance scene. I'm like, she, Elizabeth Berkeley is naked. She yeah. is naked, 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 naked. <laughs> and they're just, they're playing this whole thing out. They're doing the whole lap dance. They're, she's still naked. They're doing it. He just came in his pants. Like, and, and, it, and again, I, I I don't know. I was just I was just shocked. I was like clutching my pearls the whole time, <laughs> thinking I, I can't believe they all did this and they they all went for it and they were willing to do it. You dance like when you fucked that guy last night. What guy? That guy with the chick. You took him in the back. I didn't fuck him. Yeah, you did. You fucked him and her. I didn't fuck anybody. But I was. I fu- saw you. Man, everybody got AIDS and shit. You know, what is it that you think you do? You fuck them without fucking them. That's what you do. Well, it ain't right. I I kept trying to find in this. As I was laughing at it, as I was like angry at it, I was trying to find like, what's the point? What is he trying to say with this? Because these are beautiful people, right? Beautiful women, beautiful actors. The men too. Beautiful. Berkeley can legit dance and so can Gershon. No. Uh, The dancing is very bad. The dancing in this movie (laughs) is fucking horrendous. I'm not talking about when she's at the club and she's dancing she's spastically doing whatever she's doing and the guy and the, her, the Smith guy is going you can really move that was laughable I'm that talking was ridiculous. about the choreography of the actual Vegas shows I mean yeah it was okay. it's Vegas yes, it was choreography Vegas. but they can do sure. it you know I can't do it therefore it's impressive if it's anything I can't do <laughs> well, what I was going to say shit on me. nothing these beautiful people beautiful bodies to me nothing was sexy about it. Nothing was titillating. No. It was all, it was either painful or ridiculous right. or overwrought. Maybe that was or, the point. And I think it was the point maybe, um, but, or, or animalistic. No, they animalistic. thought he was making a sexy movie. I don't know because it just was all, all so unsexy. I don't know how you can have all these beautiful people and a camera and, and, and hours of nudity and, and, <laughs> 
and not tumble into one second mistakenly of like, right. God, that's sexy. That's attractive. I'm turned on. I, I, the whole movie was supposed right. to be a turn on, I thought. And it was like, none of it was. It was just a nightmare. Yeah. Verhoeven is Dutch. And I, I don't know if it's something about like the, something. I think he's fascinated by American politics, American, our military, our law enforcement, and probably our, uh, the way we look at sex, absorb sex, engage in sex, uh, monetize it. There might've been a point that they were going for, like (laughs) something that they were trying to achieve that they just weren't quite up to. Do you know what I mean? That it wasn't the that movie Verhoeven might wasn't have had a point at some no. point. In no, the but process. I agree. I think they were trying to yeah. make a statement. They were trying to do something saying. bigger. But unfortunately, the, the the scenes were written. The dialogue was awful. The acting was terrible. This is the worst script. The, next to She's the One, this is the worst script we've reviewed. Oh, come on. You can fuck me when you love me. That's beautiful. That's like Shakespeare. <laughs> what was Davi's line? It must be weird not to it have. It must be weird not to have people come on you. Wow. He says it so sincerely. It's too sincere. It's like, it could be funny. It's just a tick off. I was like, you just did that way too much like you really believe that it's weird for, for women not to have strangers come on them. So bravo, but also it doesn't <laughs> but also work. Boo. But maybe if if oh. all of the performances were more you know, close to the vest like that and a little more subtle, maybe stuff like that would work. Maybe it would be more of a statement that, you know, these women are just looked at as commodities and and treated like shit and chewed up. And that's how these yeah. people really treat. I, I don't know. It was, I, I was just watching the movie with my jaw to the floor the whole time. Yeah. Thinking, did they not know? These guys had just done Basic Instinct, right? Yes, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, yeah that's why everyone's from- on board. That's why everyone got on board this movie. Because yeah, they thought right. they were going to make the next Basic Instinct. They you're didn't. absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Because that was such a huge oh. hit. And it was the same. That was that same pairing of director and writer. And you're absolutely right. That's why. That's how this got made. That's how all these people signed on for it. Hi, uh... You look like shit. She looks better than a 10-inch dick and you know it. You show. You want to show the the glamour and the glean of, of Vegas of what we think it is. But then you show the other side you know, and obviously you, they, they are showing these women as just working women and doing a job, but there wasn't, it just didn't go deep. I felt like there should have been that almost like, uh, like the wrestler, you know, the movie, the, yeah, movie, the wrestler, there you just go. to show a little bit of that grit. There was never any yeah. grit right. with this. Yeah. It was just, it was all high sheen and gloss and mm, overacting. Yeah. And even the trailer it, home where they live is pretty. You know what I yeah. mean? It's not like grungy and rat infested. It, it and anything. just, I don't know. I, I, I mean. I had a note here. It was, you know, trying to think of like, what is happening in this movie? There was one point when I was, <laughs> I wrote a note saying, it's like, they're just like screeching animals. They're like monkeys throwing shit at each other. But in that dressing room, the women, I mean, I wrote this note. And then two minutes later, monkeys came running through their dressing room. And I was like, is this not, wow. is this, this is not a mistake. This is, this is on purpose. This is Paul Verhoeven saying, look at you all, you are animals. You're just animals. Because yeah. when they're engaging in sex, when they're engaging in the, in the dancing, whether it's the, whether it's the dancing at the, the strip club or the show or the lap dances, or they're having actual sex with each other they're everybody's grinding and thrashing and they're like animals and then they unleash a bunch of monkeys into the dressing room and i was like this is not a mistake 
he was going for something here. <laughs> it doesn't work, but I'm seeing wow. it. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed go. by both your note and what he was obviously doing there. I, I didn't guess. get that. that but you but I don't know like, right. why, why are there just monkeys, screeching Ooh. monkeys running through that dressing room right after or during like a fight with where the girl, it's also very, it's highly misogynistic too. It's also saying like, look at these uh, monkey women uh, screaming at each other. Why can they not yeah. just enjoy the sex? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I said know. it a few episodes ago. I'll say it again, you know, regarding Joe Esterhouse, uh, cocaine really leads to a lot of creativity <laughs> and a lot of your best work coming out. I have no idea whether he did cocaine or not. How and many naked Sheila's? <laughs> oh, is this better or worse than Empire Records? I think it's better. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think Showgirls is better than Empire Records, so I'm going to give it three because I gave, I think, two to Empire Records. Yeah, I'd probably give it maybe, oh, fuck, three and a half. I'll do three and a half. But remember, three. Empire Records only got the four because of uh, the song, the ACDC song, the right. Dire Straits song. But yeah, maybe three and a half, four, somewhere in there. Any movie that's got the line, you're the only one who could get my tits popping right. That's you know that's that's a great line. Um, no, I. Uh, what was the name of that character? Henrietta. He yeah, and they called it Henry. She would call her Henry for short. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, she was awful. I I guess I'll give it like it's so bizarre. I guess I'll give it like th three and a half. I mean, there's yeah, it's about right. There's stuff in there. It's more interesting to watch than a lot of it. It's not just utterly inept. I mean, it's got. It's such a curiosity. Uh, I, I will say there was something else I thought. I have two two things I want to say. One is they, there's that great there's that great scene, horrible scene of them having sex in Kyle McLaughlin's pool, right? But Ugh. you look at this. There's this beautiful pool and these beautiful palm trees in the background. And when he turns on the lights for the pool, fake neon yes. palm trees light mm -hmm. up in front of the actual palm the trees, right? And it's like. Again, talking about this, like kind of how Verhoeven sees America and 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 uh, kind of the artifice laid over natural beauty and things like that. Again, it was like somebody who's not up to it being like, I have something to say here. I have I have an idea that I'm trying to communicate. Nomi's got heat. Does she now? Whenever yeah. Kate sees Kyle MacLachlan, she says, uh, well, actually, Kate makes her whole family makes this great guacamole for holidays for any kind of party. Where, mm. And it is called Showgirl Star Kyle McLaughlin's World Famous Guacamole. <laughs> it's from like a People magazine or something. He like gave his his family guacamole recipe, but it must have done it around the time of Showgirls. Fantastic. So all the time, every holiday, it's like, oh, I'm bringing Showgirl Star Kyle McLaughlin's famous <laughs> guacamole, whatever. So a couple of years ago, we pass... Kyle McLaughlin on the street. And I was like, I was like, we just passed Kyle McLaughlin back there. It was like on 23rd Street or something. Oh my she was God. Like, what? I was like, yeah, we just passed Kyle McLaughlin. She was like, someone, oh my oh, God. Jason, grab a bag of chips. She uh, ran uh, back. She, at that point, it was like two blocks away. She was like, I've got to go say something to him. She ran, chased oh him God. down, and she was like, ah, Mr. McLaughlin, Mr. McLaughlin. And she said he was like looking at her like, oh, there's some crazy stalkery fan. Of course. And she just said, ah, oh, Mr. McLaughlin, my family and I, my brothers and I, oh, we're big fans. We make your guacamole every holiday. And he just looked at her and he was like, oh, thanks. She's like, it's the best. He's like, oh, thank you. 
And then she was like, okay, I just wanted to say that. Nice to meet you. And then she left and she was like, gosh, I probably should have said I admire his work as an actor or something, but I didn't do that. So I don't know if he was, she's like, I thought he'd be impressed by the deep cut, you know, being like, hey, somebody recognizes me for my guac. But, uh, His work with avocados. <laughs> How did she get that recipe? Is my question. It was in a magazine. It was in a magazine. It was like, oh, some, for God's you know, sake! That means that his, that's his publicist's publicist guacamole. <laughs> for God's sake! Yeah, you know how you make it. Same way you make every other guacamole. And just yeah, smash an avocado up. Boom. So yep. since we've been we, we've been talking about uh, so many naked women, maybe we should. Do we want to talk about some sacks, like male sacks, <laughs> male? <laughs> I've Absolutely. never made that connection sex. before between the male sack and male M A L E sack. This is the first really? time never? I've never made Don't that make connection. Make it every period, week, right? Um, <laughs> we did. We did get some actual. Uh, some some letters. Yeah, not, not that the not that the other stuff that we get in the mail sack isn't real. I don't want to. Oh I don't yeah, wanna, we don't want to disparage. No, 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 no. But we did get some actual. We got some uh, some some letters. Shall go I, ahead. Shall I read you some go stuff? ahead and open up the mail sack today because I always some, open it. There's some good. Hold, hold on, let me see if I can. Uh, <laughs> I don't have anything. Chase is rolling his eyes. He's but like, really? Seconds. No, I don't have anything. Hold on, give me seconds. Wait, where gotta, is the sack? You gotta find the sack. Where is your sack, Fred? Fred? Go and get the sack for Dig God's down sake. Dig deep. Okay. All right. Okay, got it. Well uh, done, Fred. How to do that? Well done. Thank you. You've taught me well. I proved my Padawan learner. So now the interesting thing about these, and which, which is sort of nice, is we're getting stuff about past episodes, like from a little way back, mm. which is nice because people are going back and, and listening to the early ones and trying to catch up. So my good friend Dan Kuhn, who is a, uh, a, I think he's a he's a newer listener, but he wrote in about The Sixth Sense, oh. that episode, and uh, he said, I love The Sixth Sense, now feel like re-watching. Um, Totally agree with your observation about the parent-child communication thing. I was emotionally struck by those scenes after I had kids. Uh, but when he talks about Shyamalan, he says, but I believe he got trapped by his own brand. And this is an interesting point that he brings up. He says, I think he's a great director and he would have benefited by doing some straight directing work, taking other writer's scripts. I don't want to tell people how to do their work, but it might have paradoxically given him more freedom. Tarantino comes close to suffering from the same thing, mm -hmm. though he has a number of signatures that he uses that makes his brand work for him. And he keeps jumping around to different time periods that I think he's less trapped. But it would be interesting to see him direct someone else's work, though, again, there's really no incentive. Um, mm. And then he goes on to say some other lovely things, but I thought that was a really pretty interesting observation about both those directors. And, and I have agree. They, have they done other people's works? I know Tarantino hasn't. Is I, Shyamalan? I think the only one Shyamalan has done, and mm. I'm, I think he did. Didn't he do the last Airbender? Didn't he? Airbender. Do yes, you're right. That's what I was thinking of. But, oh, that's that not a script by him. I don't know. I'm going to check right now. Oh, because okay. I thought it okay. was not. I thought he directed it, and I thought that was like his like for hire mm. kind of thing. Let's see. You know, on the one hand, you you have to give it to people who are like true auteurs. You know, like them, sure. you know, and Woody Allen, and people who are just going to say, "No, this is I'm going to no, do." He did write it. My own it. work. It was just it was based oh, on. It was based oh. on Avatar The Last Airbender by Michael Dante, but the screenplay is by M. Night Shyamalan. So uh, oh, your yeah. friend's correct. It's, uh, I think wow. he's, I think he probably has not directed something that was not also written by him. And I think, I think that's true. I think that can be, you know, he, I think he's, can be a great writer in some of his films. I really love obviously Sixth Sense, but also Signs and uh, uh, mm -hmm. Unbreakable. But um, yeah, he might really 
benefit. Although who knows, maybe then he, you know, maybe he wouldn't be able to, maybe that's not an exercise he's, he's, uh, interested in, you know what I mean? Maybe it's like, if it's not his story to tell, he doesn't have a way yeah, in. Yeah, makes sense. It would be a very Shyamalan-esque twist if at the oh. end of the movie you saw a screenplay by, you know, Joey Josephson or something, someone who wasn't M. Night Shyamalan, (laughs) boom, and everyone goes, oh my God, that's a Shyamalan. That's a Shyamalan. That's That's a Shyamalan. Shyamalan ding dong. Oh, good old Joey Josephson. (laughs) He's a great writer. We also got another great letter from my friend Christina Grant, who's a first time listener. First time (gasps) listener, long time Ah, writer. No, that's not how it is. Long time listener, first time writer. That's it. Yeah, that's what it is. But uh, she she went way back and she listened to our Gremlins episode. A classic. Yeah, Gremlins. One, classic one. But she says, <laughs> <Gremlins>. uh, <laughs> she says she was five when Gremlins came out. Way too young to see that movie. I don't remember if my parents took me to see it in the theater. Um, but I saw it on TV years later. But for the most of my life, I've been terrified of Gremlins, refused to watch it even as an adult. Oddly had the complete opposite reaction to Ghostbusters, a fan of Aykroyd, Murray, and Moranis, having stayed up late to watch SNL and SCTV. Mm. Ghostbusters was my favorite movie as a child. I wanted to be one for Halloween. My mom got creative, and instead of just buying me a crappy Ghostbusters Halloween costume with a flimsy plastic mask that would cut your face like I wanted, she made me a robot costume (laughs) out of silver placemats and put a Ghostbusters patch on the chest, and that was that. (laughs) But Christina said that the comment about capturing the New Yorkness of it is spot on. I grew up in the Midwest, but Ghostbusters was New York to me. On a trip to the city, all I wanted to do was see the Ghostbusters building, ironically not the firehouse, but where Dana lived and where they have the final showdown with Gozer. The Lincoln Center fountain always makes me want to turn around in circles with my arms out. I literally (laughs) freaked the first time I saw the lions outside the library in real life. Married now to an 80s movie-loving geek who has tried repeatedly to get me to watch Gremlins. After listening to episode three, I may, not promising, but I may give it another shot. You must. So look at that. You must, Christine. You must do it. Yes, do it. We're inspiring people to watch The Magic of Zach Galligan and Phoebe Cates. Yes. Watch watch them as a double bill for Halloween. Watch watch, uh, Ghostbusters and Gremlins for Halloween. That's what I I say. Should she also watch Gremlins too, or should she not bother? She absolutely should. But I love, (laughs) look, we'll get to Gremlins too. It's on. It's on. It's on the master list for next uh, next summer. I should say the thing that brought me the most joy about that is that Christina, in a separate text, also said that her husband was listening to the Zapped episode and the whole day was singing. You got to believe it's magic. The whole day that brought me a lot of joy. The fact that we can bring that song. Back My into sister the world. was excited That's that great. we had uh, reviewed Zapped as well, and I was like, I don't. I didn't know she had ever seen it, but I think she and my brother in law are. Zapped fans or, or, fans, or at least, or at least they're, uh, you know, we, we they, call ourselves zappies or they're more aware. Yeah. <laughs> we call ourselves scatmans. <laughs> you know, when we go to the conventions. Nice. <laughs> so that's it. I don't know. Anything, awesome. did you, anything in your mail sack? There, there, there is one thing in the mail deep. sack over here. Let me, let me open up this one. Oh, everybody's, got, everybody's got different mail sacks. Oh, interesting. I know. Do you have one? Well, we, we can, Let's we can ask the doctor. Let me, let me find out. <laughs> yeah, I got a mail sack too. It's a very violent mail sack. It was, it's inspired by Elizabeth Berkeley's thrashing <laughs> performance in Kyle McLaughlin's pool. Gentlemen, you will be very, very pleased to know. That for the first time in a long time, we have a letter from Sheila. 
<gasps> it's been many weeks. It's been many been. weeks. Seems like years. Yeah. I mean, it's it's barely legible because, of course, she is half is she, murder hornet now. Okay, that's still, yeah. She yeah, that's still a thing. To, they haven't come that, up with a serum. Well, I mean, if, I, everybody's working on this other vaccine right now. They don't have time to. That's you know, the thing. There's her. a lot of attention being given <laughs> to that. We got to talk to Fauci about this. It's like you're the you're the. You're, I'm sorry, Sheila, but you're the least of our problems right now. <laughs> yeah, maybe if Dr. Fauci's a fan of the podcast, he can help us out or help Ooh, Sheila out. Get um, on it, listen, and subscribe, Fauci. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> Five stars. Um, all right, I'm going to squint real hard here and see if I can read this um, because it really is. You know, I don't know how a murder hornet can use a pen, but I guess they helped her. It says, uh, I think it says things going well. Mm. Making good scratch out here on the road in Saratoga Springs. Back up north. All doing fine, including the arthropod squad. Boy, this is hard. This next thing is really hard to read. We all watched Showgirls and had a great time. <laughs> Tote said he would have been better in the Henrietta part. Love Ruthless Buzzy. So she's taken, She, I mean, she's fully. Embraced now. Yeah, she, she sounds, sounds like she's doing good. fine. She sounds fantastic. <laughs> sounds really good. Yeah, she's embraced the uh, <laughs> the hybridization. She's making good scratch out there. She's she's watching movies with the whole yeah. gang. I get really I, I like Al Pacino. Well, and that's Toad. what I'm saying. I never. <laughs> they're all <laughs> they're sitting down to watch movies. They're having movie night <laughs> along with our movies that we're watching. <gasps> and it, what's great is, you know, I mean, it feels, I mean, from the last couple of calls and, you know, uh, audio we've gotten somehow of the Arthropod Squad, it feels like they're. They're pals with and have been for a long time with Dr. Merlot. So maybe we misinterpreted that whole like they're hot on the trail thing. Maybe they're just part of the mix. Just Who knows? It, this yeah. was the Shama. It's a twist. That's the Shama. <gasps> it's, the Shama. it's yet another Shama. They're, it's they're yet another Shama. Shama. They're part of a commune of sorts. They're just, you know. I want to know what's in Sheila's box. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's what, that's sort of like the twist we're finding out. There's only one way to find out. There's only one way to find out, my friends. Let's move on yes. to seven. There are seven deadly sins. Gluttony. You're going to come take a look at this. Greed. No one touches anything. Sloth, wrath, pride, lust, and envy. Seven. You can expect five more of these. Body was found on Tuesday morning. I hate this city. We're going to get who did this. This will be the very definition of swift justice. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow, Seven. When retiring police detective William Somerset, played by Morgan Freeman, tackles a final case with the aid of the newly transferred David Mills, played by Brad Pitt, they discover a number of elaborate and grisly murders. They soon realize they're dealing with a serial killer, played by Kevin Spacey, who is targeting people he thinks represent one of the seven deadly sins. Somerset also befriends Mills' wife, Tracy, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, who is pregnant and afraid to raise her child in the crime-riddled city. Even foreknowledge of the film's shock ending does nothing to erode the tension created by director David Fincher and screenwriter Andrew Kevin Walker. 
Seven was a major hit, earning $13.9 million over its opening weekend, with a domestic total of $100.1 million and a worldwide haul of $327.3 million. Appropriately enough, Seven was the seventh highest grossing film of 1995. <sighs> wow. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of Seven? I'm going to start this off in a different way because I'm going to see if you can talk me down. I give this 10 Sheilas. <gasps> now, if you can convince me otherwise, I'll bring it down. I think this... <laughs> Cue the Europe. <laughs> I mean... I think it's a fantastic movie. The first time I saw it, it was shortly after it came out. I saw it on a plane. I was flying to England. Oh my God. Yeah, and, and I saw it on the plane and I was just fucking riveted by it. I had never seen anything like it. And in rewatching it again, now look, it's not a movie that I'm going to be like, yeah, ooh, ooh, seven's on. I'll watch that. Like, it's not a movie. It's a, it's a hard movie to watch, but it's, and what I, what I love about it is this movie stays the course. It starts out bleak and Spartan and nihilistic Mm-hmm. And it stays the course the whole way through. And th- to me, they're really, uh, I, I, there's not a false moment in it. Um, I love it. It's, there's brilliant noir aspects to it. Yeah. It's shot just gorgeously. Some of the shots, that chase scene, uh, yeah. you know, with Brad Pitt chasing Spacey, it's wow. It's, it's the, the credit sequence is terrifying. Mm, yeah. I've never seen anything like that before. No, yeah, incredible. The soundtrack, all the acting is fantastic. Morgan Freeman is It's uh, my favorite wonderful. Morgan Freeman performance. He's Ooh. so fucking good, and there's so yeah. much there. The, uh, Brad Pitt, this was really the first movie. I always liked Brad Pitt, and I think he's wonderful. And before this, you know, I, I always enjoyed his stuff. But this movie was really where it, the, it really hit me he's so there was this amazing quirky instinctual aliveness mm. to him it really they I, I was really blown away by him with this that you just didn't know where he was going to go and yeah. uh i thought gwyneth paltrow was fantastic mm-hmm. this was really her first big i mean she'd done some stuff before mm-hmm. this but she wasn't you know the goop we know and love or don't love today <laughs> she hadn't done shakespeare in love yet no, oh, no, wow, okay. this was, no. She had done yeah. uh, the the following year was uh, Emma, and three years after this was Shakespeare in Love. Okay, it's great, and that ending, and and you know, it's weird. I know sometimes we talk about the endings in movies here, and like I, I almost, I don't want to spoil anything because if you haven't seen it, right? It's, yeah, it's, we shouldn't. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's really wonderful, and and you know, it's hard talking about Spacey. It's hard, you know, we we sort of gave the fuck you to Brett Ratner last week. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a part of me that wants to do that to Spacey too, but and I hate even putting the butt in there, but just perform. I mean, maybe the difference is Brett Ratner. Well, there's I don't want to defend anyone for for things they've done, yeah. But also Ratner just as an artist taking away all the personal stuff. I was never impressed with what he did. I, I, I was gonna say Spacey you want to se- like a hero. Of you want to separate the art from the artist. Well, then you've got there's either art to talk about or there's non-art. And, and let's right. face it, Brett, Brett Ratner's uh, you know output is not really something that you can be like. Yeah. Well, it's up on this pedestal that it's hard. To, yeah. it's unimpeachable. It's not yeah. like that. Spacey. No. For Spacey is uh, can be a great great actor. He's very often 
very similar from project to project to project, which might be a flaw. But, in it, but you have, he's super effective. And I, yes. and yeah, he's great in this. You also have to remember this is. This was when he was just coming up on the rise. He was, yeah. You know, Same year this, as usual, suspect. usual suspects. Yeah. yeah. So at the time, this was something very new. You know, he wasn't, he, he was like those guys, one of those guys that you, you saw pop up and he'd won the Tony for Lost in Yonkers. Lost in Yonkers, and, Yonkers yeah. But this was, and even, even just the reveal of his character, where mm-hmm. that is, the fact that he is revealed, I, I think it's wonderful. I don't want to, I can go on, but, but you guys- Chime in. Yeah, no, I, I, I turned to you know, um, my wife and about. I mean, it was wasn't even halfway through it, and I was like, "This is a masterpiece." This is that's a masterpiece. the exact word that I thought. I was scared yeah. to say it. Yeah, I was no, scared to say. I, it. I, think I absolutely it is. agree with you. I think it is, Fred. I think it's a fucking masterpiece because it is uncompromising. Mm-hmm. It yes. is. Um, it, it, it's. It's a, it's an incredibly absorbing and engaging plot. Here we are with plot again, at the same time as being a, a lesson in tone, you know, the noir, to, the 90s take on the noir tone, which they get absolutely right. And it's fucking terrifying on top of it. The message of it is terrifying, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I, I do... Boy, it's so hard to talk about it without giving away the ending, but I do often think about, okay, what is the biggest takeaway thematically from this movie? Are are we really supposed to walk away from this movie thinking, you know, um, certain things about the world? I am hmm, not hopeful at the end of it, but not in complete and utter despair either um, because of what is said at the end. Now, what's interesting about that, mm-hmm. because it's so funny, <laughs> I'm watching this movie and I go, oh God, I love the last line. I love mm-hmm. the last line. Me too. I, but here's the thing. I was thinking of the wrong last line. Oh. I was thinking of- <laughs> You're thinking of every time a bell rings <laughs> an angel gets his wings? I could have sworn that Morgan Freeman ended the movie by saying, I don't know a damn thing anymore. That line is from the movie A Perfect World. Clint Eastwood, oh, okay. which is a fantastic movie. It's one of one of my favorite Kevin Costner movies and Clint Eastwood it. movies. Yeah, it's a good movie. And it's very similar where it ends. It's again, I don't want to give away the ending, but that's how it ends with someone saying, "You know, what do you what do you think? You know, is this going to happen or something?" And he, I can't remember the line leading up to it, but it's it's Clint Eastwood just saying, "You know, I don't know a goddamn thing anymore." Mm. And I thought that's how this this ended. Now it doesn't. It ends with. Well, this There's is a much a more inspiring ending, actually, than that. Yes, That's a bleaker from, ending than this yes, one. Yes, but, I think so. but from what I read, it was tacked on. Apparently, mm. the, apparently the ending went through several revisions. <gasps> that What we see in the film um, before the sort of final coda is how it ended in the script. Then they wanted to change it. And Brad Pitt and Morgan and everyone else fought. They said, no, you cannot change it. You cannot change it. You oh, cannot wow. change it. Wow. So they kept it, but then they added on that little coda right afterwards, which is with, with the with the voiceover which to Morgan is, Freeman. Which is a Ernest classic Hemingway. case of Morgan Freeman narration, which he doesn't do yeah. throughout the rest of the movie. And then you're like, right. oh, how can they not have Morgan Freeman have and, a little And he didn't want to do it, apparently. That's right. He said he didn't want to do it. Huh. He, he yeah, he, he's like, I'll do it, but I, I disagree with it. Oh, boy. Um, I think so it that's makes interesting sense. that you say that, Dan, yeah. you know, that you get to the end. and Yeah, I think it makes sense. I think it's right in the, right in the spirit of noir. And mm-hmm. I, it, it didn't 
actually bother me that there was no other narration in the movie at any time. There wasn't even mm-hmm. a little bit at the very, very top. Nope. Okay. I didn't think so. so. That, Silent in the beginning. So I yeah. thought it was so funny when I heard ready. it. I was like, oh my God, we're at the very, very end and Morgan Freeman's starting to narrate now. But, um, <laughs> right, right. I was, I was, I thought it was weird that he started talking about penguins. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can, I think we can say can we I think we can say what that line is without ruining anything about the movie. So the line is an Ernest Hemingway line uh, and he says uh, Ernest Hemingway once wrote the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. Yeah. That's what yeah. that's what Morgan Freeman says at the end. So I don't yeah. think that's giving anything away to say that there you know it's the world is a bleak place but also, there is, there is that 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 hope that uh, even it may not even yeah. be hope, but it's just kind of human striving. There's something. Yeah, there's you know, a they, yearning there's way for to keep, something better. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Light at yeah. the end of the tunnel, or hope that there's light yeah. at the end of the tunnel. Jason, this was your first time seeing it, right? Yep. Never <gasps> Tell saw us what it. you thought. What did you think? I never saw it before, and I knew what the ending was. And like I said in my intro, it does not. It didn't hurt it all that i knew Good. what the uh what the end of the movie was if anything of course it robs it of something because i'm i know what's coming essentially sure. but it's all in how you get there but i mean that the tension of it the I, mean, I just thought it was so it was so well done and i've never had any desire to see this movie i don't like movies like this generally i'm not but I'm not did a you fan love it? of dark or horrific or grisly or I did right. love it. I thought it was Yay. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was oh, brilliant. Um like I yeah. said, it's I think it's my favorite Morgan Freeman performance. I think he's impeccable in it. He's I think so it's good. watching I him listen is amazing. He's oh god amazing. Yeah. That it's bar scene with the two of them going back and forth. Yeah. His performance, oh, his humanity, his understanding, his quiet, thoughtful reasonable intellectual humanity that's mm-hmm. what gives me hope that's why i like that there's a line at the end that that is like oh god this is a horrible story horrible things happen <laughs> this world can, can be a horrible place but it's worth fighting for because there are there are organisms there are people like this on the earth who he do makes you know what it i mean he, for you. absolutely he, there's something about him as a person yeah. and all of that uh, that trio of central characters i think you know i liked mm-hmm. all of them i like you you like brad pitt you i love gwyneth paltrow you know they're she's that so scene good. them having dinner at the house and that's my favorite scene one, it's it's a fantastic it's scene so how long have you lived here too long how you like it you know takes time settle in Good. Well, you get numb after a while. Yeah, things are in a city. Subway. It'll go away in a minute. It's real estate guy. Fucking piece of. Sorry, easy. Shows us the place a few times. I think he's good. He's efficient. Trace really likes it. Then I start wondering why will he only bring us here for five minutes at a time, yeah? We found out the first night. The soothing, relaxing, vibrating home. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
it's yeah. lovely. And it's like in the middle of this. And I love, yes, I love how bleak it is. I love the color palette of them. I think you're right. It's 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 so consistent in in its worldview. It's consistent in its uh in its tone and its yeah. mood and its uh it's it's Very really beautiful. It's also, yes, yeah. totally uncompromising. That is a great, great word. But yet within that, within like such a a dark, bleak world, there's still like there is at any time, right? Still like moments of laughter and levity. And uh, yeah, it, I, I just, you know, those, those moments are few and far between in this movie. But when they're there, it's very, very powerful. And uh, now, yeah. let me ask you something. Yeah. In that dinner scene, I noticed something and it was fascinating to me. And it was talking, you know, talking about Morgan Freeman, just him listening. They're talking, they're telling a story. And then he starts to pick up and they're going back and forth. And the whole time, he's taking out a napkin. He's got his napkin and he's He's wrapping his knuckles with it. No, 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 he's not folding it. Oh, He's wrapping around his knuckles. And it's almost like, and I I was, you know, I didn't notice any other time I've seen it. But I thought it was so fascinating. And And I wonder if it was something about him that he's so, this is a character that's, got so much violence in his life or mm. entrenched in violence mm. or something. What is it? Cause it's that, that idea that, you know, you fold a napkin around your, your knuckles before you're about to punch someone, you know, right. so you don't hurt yourself. I don't know. I don't know if that was done, if it was done intentionally, but it seemed like there was something there. Just the fact that he had that knife and just throwing the knife in the dartboard. Mm, there was yeah. something. There's there was two, something. there's two interesting things there that you bring up. I didn't put that together, but I'm, 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 Thinking about it now, there there are there are at least three times in the in the movie where you see Morgan Freeman carefully folding and creasing either paper or just before that moment the napkin. He's sort of folding and creasing it on the table, and he does that with mm. paper other times. But yeah, now thinking about it, he wraps it around his knuckles to protect, and that's a protect. That's a move of protection, right? And maybe he got so, yeah. maybe he got to be a good knife thrower because it was something he had to do to protect himself. So there's a there's a there's a, a shielding or a protective, you know, protecting himself in that long trench coat. You know what I mean? He's he's I think protecting himself from from caring too much, maybe from getting too maybe. involved, because remember, at the beginning of the movie, he's like, I don't want this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know where this is he's going. Done. I've been here before. So he's self-protecting. Because he's only a few days from retirement and he's he's kind of doing, you know, he, he's saying, I, I, I'm I don't want to be hurt anymore, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally mm. by any of it. If I get too absorbed in this family, you know, and they're bringing him in, they invite him for dinner. She has that heartfelt conversation with him in the diner, which is another great scene. Beautiful, yeah, beautiful, beautiful scene. scene. Oh, you know, yeah. you get all he gets. He's getting he gets fully back into the case after he has said this is your case. Brad Pitt's the boss of the case. They kind yeah. of switch roles. He's following his lead. You know, what so, a great moment when he comes into the office for the first time. Yeah, it's so great. You know, like, oh, take it. It's, it's just yeah, so he goes to the other and desk. And, you know, yeah. so there's a he wants to remove and protect and guard. And so maybe that's what that's about. I just don't think I can continue to live in a place that embraces and nurtures apathy as if it was virtue. You know, different, you know, better. I didn't say I was different or better. I'm not. Yeah, I sympathize. I, I sympathize completely. Apathy is a solution. I mean, it's it's easier to lose yourself in drugs than it is to cope with life. Yeah. 
It's easier to steal what you want than it is to, to earn it. Yeah. It's easier to beat a child than it is to raise it. Hell, love costs. It's really hell. I mean, it's a hellscape. You know, yeah. it is that sort of first level of Dante's Inferno. You know, of like I love that we don't know what city it is. I love that it's never defined. Yeah, we don't know. It could be any city, right? Yeah, you don't. The only giveaway, and it's not a giveaway because this is not intentional. But when they're in the pizza place, it says New York pizza. But there's a million places across the country and the world that say New York pizza. Sure. And in fact, that was an actual restaurant in Hollywood that's called New York Pizza. So that's what I read. But uh, but yeah, so it's not meant to be. Any specific, yeah. it's any major city you can think of, any major downtrodden, crime-ridden city in, in America. Yeah. Now, let I me ask that. another question, something that I noticed. Again, the scene where where Spacey reveals himself, and he basically, and you know, I don't think this is ruining anything, but when he walks into the police station, mm-hmm. which is just fucking chilling, oh. terrifying, you know. He's There's like, a detective. A detective, that's yeah. it, Yeah. It's, oh my God, that scene is just, it's shot beautifully. It's played wonderfully. But there's a moment where Spacey says, I know you. And I couldn't tell if it was to Somerset or it was hard to tell who he was saying it to. My first instinct was he was saying it to Brad Pitt because like, I know you, like I've, I've been there. I've, I've seen you. I've taken yeah. the picture. Yeah, of you. the picture, right? But the way it's shot, it almost looks like he's looking at Somerset. I thought he was saying it to and Somerset, I was, but I didn't know why. But, but that's and that's the thing. So I was that's trying to figure out: is it like, do they have some sort of history, or is it, I know you, like I know it's in your soul. I know the rage that's within you. I know. Yeah, because you're the flip side of me. Yeah, I know that I look know. in your eye. Yeah, it could be it, that. Yeah, it was it was a very interesting moment. You know, I know I know you because I am also a person who sees the world as this as the hell that it is. Yeah, maybe just like but you it, do. You know, the only thing difference between you and me is I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to teach humanity a lesson rather oof. than rather than go and hide. I won't deny my own personal desire to turn each sin against the sinner. Wait a minute! I thought all you did was kill innocent people. Innocent? Is that supposed to be funny? We see a deadly sin on every street corner, in every home, and we tolerate it. We tolerate it because it's common. It's it's trivial. We tolerate it morning, noon, and night. Well, not anymore. I'm setting the example. And what I've done is going to be puzzled over and studied and followed forever. Yeah. Delusions of grandeur. The only misstep of the movie, and it's a small one, is that it feels like Brad Pitt, the character, the character, is not smart enough to have that job. You know what I mean? There's just too many times when you go, ah, where I went, I don't buy that this guy got to detective. You know, this feels like a beat cop to me. You know, I I, 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 I wanted him to I be agree. just ever so slightly, just a little bit more with it so that I could buy that he's a detective now. You know what I'm saying? Well, I got that. I think he was someone who worked. And again, what I was saying about his, his acting style in this movie, that he was more someone who worked from the gut. He was more instinctual. You know, sure. he didn't want to take the time maybe to do 
the the way he went about it, it was it was a different, more direct way than maybe Morgan Freeman, who was like, no, you got to take the time. You need we need to study. We're going to go to the library. We're going to read through. You know, where Brad Pitt was more like, the, you know, let's get the cliff notes. Freeman's just really, really fantastic in this movie, and yeah. and the the weariness of it. But this scene when they're Morgan Freeman saying he's he never shot his gun in 34 years, uh, right? Yeah. And, oh boy. And Pitt's like, oh, I have already. You know, like he had. And and you're just watching Pitts talking about his experience, and you're just watching, yeah, Morgan Freeman. You're just seeing right, his you're reaction. Watching you're just listen. watching him listen, and yep. he's just so he seems so sad. He seems so he seems sad and concerned for Brad Pitt's yeah. character. Maybe that's not what's happening, but that's what I kept reading on his face, like not disappointed in Brad Pitt, like but just almost sad right. for him that he that he's already been to through that, that place that he's already gone yeah. through. Yeah. That. That that's yeah, where that's he is. Right. Like in his, he'll never be able to. He'll never be able to say, "I got to this point in my career without that." There's something very beautiful that's, about their relationship. Very uh, fatherly. Very um, like Brad Pitt's this like kind of cub that Freeman is nurturing throughout. I don't. I don't know how else to put it. There's something. Yeah. It, it, well, it's, no, it's and they very play off each other beautifully too. They do the way they bounce off each other. Like the you know in the in the bar scene. It's just, the, the dialogue is just so good. It's just so well-written. What you're saying, Jason, puts me in mind of, is it, you know, is it sort of a, a father-son thing? And if it's a father-son thing between them, is it sort of God the father and God the son? And, mm. you know, God the son has to, is is both, hu- is human and has to go through terrible, terrible, terrible suffering Miles, yeah. to get to a place where, you know, humanity uh in the story of jesus sort of learns from learns from the martyrdom and learns from the teaching about how to be better you know in that in that the story of the bible and there's that a good book and satan i haven't read it and (laughs) i only read the first part i don't know let's give away the ending of that it all goes to shit (laughs) we're living it right now we don't need to give away the ending we are the ending and then you have satan there you know saying hey go this direction you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so there is something even biblical about the ending of this movie that's like you know that that ultimately i think says okay we we can learn we can learn to be better we can learn we can learn to be better if we do the work uh on it what was your favorite of the deadly sins when I said I liked the dinner scene earlier, I was talking about the gluttony scene. I really love that. Oh, no, shit. I'm just kidding. I got I to tell you, the guy That's disgusting. who was in the interrogation room <laughs> for the lust. Oh, God. Oh, Lord yeah. have mercy. That guy oh, really hard, played man. that scene wonderfully. It was, oh. his performance was chilling. It was so disturbing. Oh, he yeah. really, he nailed it. I mean, and that was, oh. Oof. Yeah, that was really, oh. really upsetting. And what was the thing with the pride lady? She's got a thing of pills glued in one hand and a phone glued in the other and she, she cut can off either, her nose she can either call, he cut off her notes and she can either call for i'm forgetting for help, for help. He she can call for help and he won't kill her or she can leave her disfigured or she can kill herself or she can kill herself and she chose to kill herself she chose to kill herself because yeah. she couldn't live being unattractive uh that's the, for me that's the only weak <sighs> moment in the movie is the, ah. the 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 david caruso-esque csi line when somebody <laughs> says he cut off her nose, and then Morgan Freeman says, "To spite her to face. face." You know, I mean, it's just it just was like a little too pat, um, not oh, like Julia that. Sweeney pat. Well, it's like just a little too. It's like we got it. We didn't need to. To spite her face. That's how to Pat spite would say. Her face. 
Um, he might have been calling her spider face for all I know. Maybe that was what, oh, God. The, what was carved into her face at that point. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, no, yeah, the, I loved um, it. I, uh, I, I, the, 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 all of the sins are horrifying. I, I still jumped sloth. when the one, yeah, when the sloth thing happens, I oh. jumped through the roof because I forgot it. I forgot about that. Gluttony, I like, again, I've never Christ. seen this movie, but I knew, but gluttony and may, the trailers must have shown gluttony um because Ooh. i always remember that image and i've never seen any part of this movie but i remember oh, some God. of that so i was yeah. more aware of that i think that's pretty that's pretty potent but yeah sloth i think is the one that is like ugh, just they're also horrifying but well done david fincher well, well done, done. And what mean, are his other movies i know he did one of the alien movies fight club is wonderful yeah, so Aliens Network. Three was his first movie because he was he mostly did videos before then. And Aliens Three, I think he was such a miserable experience. I read that he was oh. like, I'm done. Oh, it's most recent for him. I mean, Girl oh with God. the Dragon Tattoo was like ten years ago. What I've never seen. That. Social Network was older than that. That's good. Fight What's, Club is uh, wonderful. Love Fight Club. Yeah. Did he do other? What's more recently? What is? I feel like there's another see. Brad Pitt something in there. If only we had a device he, that we that could look up did. anything. Um, but boy, what Let's a great see. director. And he wrote this too, right? Or no? No, he did no, not. Uh, he didn't Andrew Kevin it. Walker wrote this. Oh. And, uh, who, who is actually Andrew Kevin Walker is the dead body in the very beginning. Oh, really? Okay. What's the first deadly sin? Oh, he did Zodiac too. Oh, Zodiac is terrific. Zodiac, I love. Gone Girl. Zodiac is terrific. Oh, Gone, Girl. Yeah. Um, Gone Girl I did not like. I've not yeah, seen it. Was okay. I did not like that movie his very most, much. That, was his, that was his last. Gone Girl? Yeah, okay. that's his most recent. That's like f- six years ago, right? More yeah. than that, maybe. Yeah. And he did the uh, he did the TV show Mindhunter. Oh, that's very okay. strange that he hasn't done a major motion picture in that long. Interesting. Gone Girl's got to be like 2013 or 14, something like that. Yeah. Gone Girl is. I will tell you right now. Gone Girl is. Gone Girl is 2014. Well done, Jason. Yeah, he hasn't yeah. made a movie in six years. That's very strange. Crazy. We got to get that um, guy back on the back on board. People talked a lot about, uh, you know, that he'd be uh, would make a. I think he must have been in talks at some point to make a uh, maybe a Batman movie, and and I think he would have made oh, he'd an be incredible great. dark Batman movie. He would have yeah. done a hell of a job. Um, oh my yeah. god! No, it's really great. I'll I'll give this. Ah. I'll give this nine. I I, I, yeah. I don't really have a reason to not give it ten, except that it's just it's just not my normal cup. You know what I mean? It's like it's 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 wonderful, but I I it's just it's not you. It's, it's not, not something O'Connell I can bill affair. I mean, yeah. I, I yeah, I I don't see. I, maybe I will watch this again actually because it's oh, so yeah. good. It's so yeah. so good. So I probably will. I mean, that's actually that's quite a testament to it because these types of things. I can enjoy them or see the merit in them. And then just that, that darkness. I don't like sitting with that stuff uh, for very, mm-hmm. very long. So I, I tend to go for lighter fare a lot of the time, but yeah, no, it's pretty, it's pretty brilliant. Um, yeah. I'm going to go 10. Uh, one other thing uh, you're going 10. I'm going to go 10. Yeah. I'll go 10. All right, fine. I'll fucking go 10 as well. Jesus Christ. I thought you went 10. I did. I went 10. Then you brought me down to nine and a half. I'm back to 10. All right. I'll it's go 10, nine and a half. It's, it's because I, I did. I, I, that was when it, when it was, <laughs> no, when it was done, Dan, I thought the same thing. I said, that's a masterpiece. Yeah, but really I think is. I was, I was a little wary to use that word. You but know I think what? for what it is, yeah. the film is, it, it's, it's perfect for what it is, for what Fincher and what they're doing and the performances are all just, I agree. 
There's not a false note. All right. You guys are both giving 10. I'm going to give it one so we can divide them by three and get seven. No, I'll, uh, no, I'll stick with, I'll stick with nine. I, I don't really have a good reason for it not to be 10. Do it, do it. Give it a 10. That's crazy. I haven't given, have we given anything 10 yet? No, this would be our first 10. This would do it. I mean, Star Wars, we didn't rate, but I mean, let's be honest, but that's a 10. I, I can't say Do this is it. better than the sixth sense. I didn't give that ten. Oh, oh golly. That's a good Shit. question. Well, I'll give it nine I'm and a half. I'll say... give this nine and a half. I'll give this nine and a half. It's really well done, excellent. Jason. It's really excellent. Well done. Huh? Hey, you guys. What? Phone's oh. ringing. Oh, boy. What? Phone is ringing. <laughs> Welcome to the opening weekend podcast. You are on the air with Dan, Jason, and Fred. Thank you so much for calling in. You guys, oh, it's Adam. Oh, God. Oh, I have some new ideas for businesses <laughs> to start. Adam, are you okay? Are you are you still half Ardwolf? Yes, I am. Oh my god, it's wonderful. <laughs> we make a good scratch. Good scratch. God, I'm glad. I'm so glad to hear that. After all those years of one of the army of freelancers, it's good to know I, you've got security. I still want to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> Okay. Someday. <laughs> entrepreneur. An entrepreneur. Yes. Okay. I have an idea for a new business. Oh, God. We, instead of Empire Records, it's called Spare Tire Checkers. <laughs> we make sure... Your spare tire is there in your car. If it's not there, we give you one. Spare tire checkers. <laughs> That's good. This one's inspired by <laughs> by the main character in Showgirls. Mm-hmm. It's called. It's it's a it's a cosmetic business based in Missouri, based in Missouri, called Show Me Cologne. Instead of Know Me Malone, show Missouri's the Show Me State. <laughs> oh, I see okay, where you're doing okay. that. Show Me Cologne, okay. you see. Oh, that's I, good. I see. I got the impression you don't like that one. <laughs> no, we like it just. Is there a way to do subtitles in a podcast? Don't exhaust. Oh. Oh. You shouldn't. You shouldn't exhaust yourself so much, Adam. I only have one more. Thank you. It's inspired by the movie Seven. It's a Sorry, salmon restaurant where we put different flavors inside the salmon. We might put lemon in there. We might put a little dill in there. Tomato, unread, some nice red onion, capers. <laughs> and it's called What's 
in the locks. <laughs> What's in the locks? What's in the locks? <laughs> you got it because it's salmon. That, that's, <laughs> that's good. That is very good. I'm liking that one. I'm liking I that one. Like, I is there like, a little peltro in that salmon? I lo- oh. There could be. There's definitely goop in it. <laughs> well, the line went dead. Jeez. Oh, didn't even. I'm have the glad the courtesy still- to stay on the line to hear which one we liked. Last time he was like, "Which one do you like?" And we said, "This is the good one." It's it's all for the best because those were three stinkers. Quite frankly, he only would have been disappointed. I'm happy that he still has dreams, that he still has dreams of having his own business. He hasn't given up on that. He hasn't given up on that. You know what? This was a positive end, much like Seven, between (laughs) Sheila and Adam the Ardwolf. Yeah. There's there's a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. They're doing okay. They're doing okay. They're worth saving. Yeah. They're worth saving, I say. As is this podcast. So listen, subscribe, and give us five stars. Yes. Despite what you just heard. I was going to say saving makes it sound like, you know, (laughs) man, that we're like on the way out. We're not like Empire Records. We're We're not necessarily closing up shop tomorrow. Oh, God. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us this week. Uh, Next week, on September 24th, 2004, which feels recent, but yet that's... 16 goddamn years ago. Again, we're very is this old. Our first, is this our first show in the aughts? I think it's our first show in be. the aughts. Wow. I think we have not gotten past 1999 uh, before now. But yes, we're looking back to September 24th, 2004. Uh, and the films that week were Shaun of the Dead, the Edgar Wright Brilliant. film Shaun of the Dead, mm-hmm. starring uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, uh, The Forgotten, starring Julianne Moore, and First Daughter, Starring Katie Holmes and Michael Keaton, I believe, as the president of the United States. What? So that's oh, uh, I didn't yeah, know that. That's next week on opening that's weekend. Standing, Dan, that's you got standing. anything? Uh, got anything you know, for us? In honor of Showgirls, I think we got to do a little Viva Las Vegas, baby. Oh, nice. we got to take it back to the king. Little little Elvis Presley. What do you think? <laughs> Proud. That was Thank an impressive you. ending. Thank Just you. like seven. That's what Elizabeth, that's what Elizabeth <laughs> Berkeley said to Cal McLaughlin. <laughs> oh, see you next week, everybody. The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa, with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.